Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Well, my, my, my. November begins with Lieutenant Joe Kenda, author, TV host, and homicide hunter. Join Joe and me as we kick off November with tales of true crime, only on The Thriller Zone. Hello and welcome to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple, and on today's show, Joe Kenda, former cop, former homicide detective, has written a book called Killer Triggers, and it's a killer read, I'll tell you that right now. It is really, really good. Now, on today's show, we did something a little bit different. I'm just going to explain it to you real quick. Um, I've been doing the show with Zoom for many, many, many months, but recently because of uh, quality issues, etc., I've switched to StreamYard or other uh, kind of programs. However, Joe does not like dealing with them. Uh, and I didn't find until the end of the show that, yeah, I can roll with Zoom, but we had already finished the entire interview, and so I just left it as it was. Because sometimes audio, which is what podcasts really are, works fine that way. So, without any further ado, come on into the green room, which becomes the entire room, and will either watch me listening to and talking to Joe, or I'll flash up some stuff with Joe on it, including a picture of Joe, etc. But it is going to be a slightly different version for my standard YouTube audience, but for my listening audience on all podcast channels, no matter if it's uh, Apple or Google or Spotify or Stitcher or you name it, it will remain the same. So let's get to it. Joe Kenda is on the Thriller Zone. I, I have got you hooked up. My Your phone is now hooked to my board, so I'm recording. The only thing okay, I'm... Okay, fine. Yeah, the sad thing is I can't see that beautiful mug of yours. Well, you've seen it before, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but joe you don't know what you're missing <laughs> oh well see there you go uh, that is a problem <laughs> when are you gonna air this uh you are kicking off november you are the first guy on november so you're gonna be no, uh, thursday november 3rd november 3rd uh, okay Which what is time gonna well it's gonna drop at midnight so um do you you probably don't even listen to podcasts do you i do not but I have a friend that wanted to know because he wanted to hear this. Okay. Well, it's I gonna... don't even watch my own shows. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't. Uh, it's like, hey, I watched the master to make sure they haven't screwed anything up. And then I never pay any attention to it after that. Well, so, the, you know. there's one of the great thing, one of the nicest things about going old school by doing it the way you're, you and I are doing it right now is yeah. that you don't have to worry about hair and makeup. You know, we don't, exactly. we don't have to worry about seeing you in your pajamas there. Right. Uh, <laughs> even though I'm not, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, exactly right. And you know, it's, uh, it's just the way things, I realized that this always came as a result of COVID, which stopped the travel and stopped people from going places and all that. Yeah. But now it's become insane because there's just too much of it. Well, and at some point you have to suffer through all these things. <laughs> and then of course, everybody's afraid you're not who you say you are. Right. So now we have to have all these security steps and oh, please, you know. Well, can I ask out of the gate, are you who I think you are? Yes, I am. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good. Then we're on the same uh, wavelength because I am who I say I am. There you go. Well, works for me. Uh, Either way, welcome to The Thriller Zone. It's a podcast. Um, 
the fact that you don't listen to podcasts means you don't have any clue as to who I am, but uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a nice guy who enjoys talking to people about what they love. Well, that's a fine thing to do. Uh, I, the first po- uh, the first podcast I was ever on was the nerd was the nerdist uh, with uh, Hardwick in in Los Angeles, and he was one of the guys that started podcasting. Uh, one of the first ones was the nerdist. And so I was on his program twice. Wow. But I actually, I actually traveled there. I went to LA and met him in the studio the first time. And then at his home, the second time, nice guy. And uh, we had a great conversation. I, I outlasted, uh, his previous guest was Daniel Craig. Wow. He was on for one hour and six minutes and I was on for two hours and 10 minutes. So, so much for Commander Bond. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Joe, Joe Kenda. Take that. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's right. It was really funny. Hardwick said I was a record. I was uh, for how long I was on. So, whatever. Well, tell me this before we get too uh, deep into it. Do you have any time constraints? Because I generally shoot for about an hour. I have no constraints at all. I'm sitting here doing nothing. Talking to my phone with my AirPods in, which I also hate, but they work well. Do you hate it's a clearer connection? Do you hate them because they don't give you a true immediate feedback? A a little bit of that. There's always a lag with these things, and they're a little annoying in your ears, and occasionally they fall out. Yeah. So it's another uh, another brilliant idea that Steve Jobs had. It's time to dig him up so we can kill him again. I think, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh my gosh, who's that in the background? That's my wife. Hello, wife. She just called me a curmudgeon. That's not very nice. No, it is. But then again, she's not very nice, so it's okay. You sound completely delightful to me, Joe. <laughs> All right, I had all these great visual props already. I had a little clip from uh, one of your ID gigs, which I will probably lay in over the final edit of this. Um, but that's okay. Uh, you know, I, I sure. did I did radio for twenty five years, so one one rule I learned early on: adapt. Oh, you have to. You yeah. have to, and I did as well. I mean, you have to adapt to your audience, whatever that audience is. Sure. And uh, you know, you're talking to a doctor, talk like a doctor. You're talking to an idiot on a street corner. Talk like an idiot on a street corner. You're a lot further that way. <laughs> and what do you do when you're a lieutenant? I'm so assuming you would talk to like a lieutenant, right? Detective. Oh, on occasion, I do have an official voice. Yes. And let me hear that right now. Could you give it to me? Well, that's when I say to you, you must understand something about me. Two things. Mm-hmm. One, I don't forgive and I don't forget. Mm. And the other thing you need to know about me is I'm completely and utterly ruthless. Mm. You tell me what I want to know, or I'm going to destroy your life. Mm. Wow. Okay. Um, you got me shaking in my boots, which is uh, funny because I got on <laughs> flip-flops. All right. Well, first of all, let me just start out of the gate by saying it is an honor. You are a, a legend. You're, you got an amazing background. So thank you for taking this time for me. Of course. Of course. You're absolutely welcome. This book, Killer Triggers, we're going to talk to uh, in a little bit. I'm holding up for my visual audience because I do uh, also do YouTube. So you're probably double hating me now because I'm an uh, audio guy. <laughs> no, and that's I got okay. It. Okay, gotcha. That's okay. I have no difficulty with any of that. I, what I have difficulty with is trying to use it. Yeah. 
There's always about 14 roadblocks they put in your way. I just say, well, wait a minute. If this is supposed to be so clever, why is it not clever? Yeah. Um, this is not the first time I've heard that. So that's, uh, that's, that's cool. Sure. Yeah. Um, there are people, I could drop some names that have really, really fucked up for me, but that's okay because it's <laughs> just a show. Yeah, so, that's exactly right. Yeah. All right. So we're going to talk about killer triggers in a minute, but I like to get to know the people that I'm talking to. And I am curious what you're doing these days. Is the little birdie right in that you're retired in Virginia? That is true. I am retired here because our son is here. Mm -hmm. He was in the United States Navy for 27 years. And when he retired from the Navy, he had a, a guy he worked for who was an admiral who created a civilian job for him for the Department of the Navy. And so his post-retirement employment is here at Norfolk Naval Station, which is the largest Navy base in the world. And he called me and he said, Dad, I can't come home because we don't have an ocean at home. I said, no, I look everywhere and we don't have one of those. And so, uh, you know, he's here. And so I looked at my wife and I said, you know, why are we here shoveling snow when either most of the people we know are either dead or have already moved to Arizona? And she said, I don't have an answer for that. I said, neither do I. So let's go to Virginia. Time for a change in our appearance. you know. So we came here, and I bought a place on 22 acres. Wow. Uh, about oh, 35, 40 miles southwest of Virginia Beach. Okay. He lives in Virginia Beach. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of humans, so I live out <laughs> by myself. You can't see my house from the road, and you can't see the road from my house which I prefer. Yeah, I'm with you. Well, you, uh, yeah, you and I have two little uh, coincidental uh, pieces of truth. One is you uh, spent quite a bit of time in Colorado Springs, which I think you moved there around mm -hmm. 73, right, with your wife too? That's correct. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I have a son-in-law, daughter-in-law, and two gorgeous grandchildren who live in Colorado Springs. Oh, cool. And uh, Tammy, my wife, and I were this close, this close to moving there, and we decided uh, to stay where we are because we live in a little place called Encinitas, California, outside of San Diego. And the other coincidence, uh, and we'll come back to Colorado Springs, is that uh, I went to grad school in Virginia Beach. So look at us. Uh, we're so close and yet so far away. Oh, it's the world is a small place. It really now that we have the ability to communicate with people everywhere, mm -hmm. you discover how small the planet really is. When you meet people who are from your hometown, they went to college where you did something. It's just very interesting, but it's true. Yeah, we run into it all the time. Well, let's 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 dig in just a little bit on your. Um your prolific, impressive, uh, background, uh, the, the, one of the facts that everyone knows, if anyone knows who Joe Kenta is 387 murder cases, 23 years, Colorado Springs police department. So Joe, I'm going to start off the game. Uh, and now that I've realized that we're, we're friends, I can ask a captain obvious question and not feel like a complete asshole. So. Oh, you won't do that. No, okay. it's no problem. What is it like having such an illustrious career in a profession where you can say, and I can't think of very many careers like this, 92% success rate. I mean, nearly a hundred 
which means you yeah. are, uh, if you were batting, you would be one of the all-time greatest hitters. If you were an NFL quarterback, you would be the, better than Brady. I mean, I could go on and on, as you can see, but what what's that like? You don't give it any thought, honest answer. I mean, you don't really think about it. What you think or what I thought about was how do we resolve this problem, this, this murder case? Victims cannot speak for themselves because they can no longer speak. You have to stand in their shoes and protect their interests. That's the oath you took when you raised your right hand. And the only difference between me and everybody else that does this for a living is I'm not smarter than they are, but I'm persistent. Yeah. I'm like a dog with a bone. I won't quit. I worked one case for nine years before I turned it. Wow drove me crazy, but I turned it and I arrested and convicted two guys for first-degree murder from a victim that no one cared about. This guy was, as an example, this guy was uh, uh, the, the, the child of parents. He was an oops baby. He was late in their lives. And when he was eight years old, he was hit by a car causing serious head injury. And he never advanced emotionally from age eight. So his parents die. And so somebody scoops him up into a, a, a program for people who are handicapped or special needs, as we say in the modern day. And he winds up working at Goodwill Industries. But his difficulty is because he's a childlike person, he cannot assess people at all. Right. He doesn't realize who's not friends with him and who is simply using him. And so associates of his from that, the, the part of town he was living in at the time, all of whom were criminals, drank his whiskey, spent his money, and every time they got arrested, they blamed him for the offense. So he got arrested a lot. He never got convicted of anything, but he got picked up all the time. Now, here's this guy who's living in a motel where you wouldn't keep a dog you didn't like. Oh, and he is paying his rent and he is going to Goodwill and he walks home past a liquor store and buys a bottle and takes it back to his room. And here comes all the boys to help him drink his container and so on. And somebody finally stabs him 31 times and steals a boom box it was worth about 40 bucks Jeez. and leaves him in this room hacked to pieces. When I found him, and this is occurs in 1985, DNA analysis did not exist, but it's not, it's not uncommon for when someone stabs someone to death, they get hurt because the blood covers the knife. The knife becomes slimy from the blood, you're hacking away with great force against this person. The result is your hand slides down the blade oh. and you get a deep cut in your palm. Very painful. So I find blood stains in that room that some of it is drop bleeding. Drop bleeding is perfectly circular drops of blood. They're falling from an incised wound. Right. Now, this guy never moved from the place he was attacked. 
who's ever walking around in here and bleeding on the floor is the killer. So I have suspect blood, but I have no way to really identify it. At that time, you could get antigen levels that would put you in a population of 250,000 people that had the same combination, but that's all it would do. It wasn't uniquely identifiable. The difficulty further in that case was that we had all these criminal associates, 52 people with a criminal record as long as your arm, that knew him, spent time in his room, listened to his boombox that was stolen, drank his whiskey, so on and so on. So not only did you have suspects, you had too many suspects. So we start working this case, and we're getting nowhere fast. We interview half of these people who have an alibi as to where they were in the night of the night in question. And we have no hard physical evidence against anyone that's in this group. So this carries on for a couple of years. And I had a kid that I brought into homicide, young kid, his first day on the job. And I gave him a, a, a lead on this case. And he said, well, that's that guy in the motel on the west side from a couple of years ago. I said, yeah, I don't. But nobody cares about him. And all of my guys and gals all rolled their eyes and started to find something else to do. And I turned, what is a piece of paper? I said, don't you ever say that to me again. Don't ever tell me no one cares about him. Because if you say that and you think that, I'm going to have you at the airport working midnight to eight with Tuesdays and Thursdays off, and you're going to be writing parking tickets. You understand me? Uh, uh, yes, sir. I said, now go work that fucking lead and come back here and tell me what you found out. And he learned quickly how I feel about homicide. Yeah. If you kill, I'm going to not stop looking for you ever. Look over your shoulder because eventually you're going to see me. So anyway, fast forward a couple of years. We even have a false confession in the case from a lunatic who comes in to announce that he's the one that did it. And we had to get rid of him because he wasn't the one that did it. He was in jail when this murder happened. But anyway, we get, fast forward a little bit further, and we wind up with Dr. Jeffries in England, wins the Nobel Prize for DNA analysis. And I submitted my blood drops from that motel room nine years after the event to a DNA service in Chambersburg, Maryland called Cellmark Diagnostics, which at the time was the only place doing DNA analysis. And it produced the suspect in the case and his associate, and I convicted him both first-degree murder. It was the first case in Colorado using DNA analysis to make the conclusion of who was responsible. Wow. So my victim got his day in court. It was a little late, but he got his day in court. So nine years, what, <clears throat> outside of the fact that you, <clears throat> well, I can, I get a pretty good sense of who you are now by that story, but nine years, where in that nine years did you think, okay, uh, this doesn't look good and it, this may never happen? Or did you say, no, it's going to happen eventually. I just got to keep it on oh, the no. shelf nearby. Yes, that's absolutely right. It's going to happen. We're going to, we're going to turn it. We're going to turn it. And we did. And you have to feel that way in order to continue to put the effort behind it. If you don't, you are lying to yourself and to the public. Yeah. One of the most annoying things I've seen on television 
is a program called 48 Hours. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Where they say you have to have something in the first 48 hours. It'll never be solved. That isn't a, a fact. That is an excuse. Don't ever tell me that there's 48 hours is the key because that's bullshit. The key is your effort. That's what makes things happen. Not hiding behind some phrase that you heard somewhere from some interrogation instructor in 1961 who told you if you don't get an answer right away, there is no answer. And that's nonsense. That's absolute nonsense. It's just a way to get away from doing the job. This, We're going to move on to the next one. Yeah, no, this, I mean, no, you're not. And Joe, this makes me think of, uh, and maybe this is exactly what you're saying. So if it is, forgive me for looking like an idiot. But when I hear these TV shows and you go, oh, you know what? So-and-so is missing. If we don't find him in 48 hours, the chances are better that we'll never <laughs> find him. Yeah, right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, guess what? People get found all the time. You know, it's uh, you, you just uh, it's just not true. It's uh, most of those things are not true. The other thing, an annoying thing you see on TV all the time, is cops make an arrest on TV, and the first thing they before they even have the cuffs on the guy, they 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 read him his rights. There is absolutely no purpose in that, none whatsoever. Nobody <laughs> does that because nobody has to. The Miranda warning is a result of that case in 1965 resulting in the advisement of rights is a two-prong test. The first prong is the person that is going to be accused of committing a specific offense must clearly understand he is not free to go. He is handcuffed. He's in a police station. Yeah. He's somewhere where it's pretty obvious that he just can't get up and walk up. That's the first prong. The second prong is focus. You, you have to be in a position to say to this guy, whoever he is, I'm going to ask you about the murder of so-and-so and what level of involvement you may have in that. Now you, have, you are focusing on a specific crime, and he is in custody and reasonably knows he is in custody. The difference would be, for example, if I come to your home and I knock on your door and I announce who I am, I'm the police. I'm from homicide. I want to talk to you about this case. And you invite me in. And I come in at your invitation. I sit down in your kitchen. And I call you a murdering son of a bitch for 35 minutes. And you finally collapse and say, well, you're right. I am. I killed him because he needed to be killed. And I was the one responsible for it. And so on. And is that admissible in court? I didn't advise you of your rights. I didn't have to. You're not in custody. You're in your kitchen. Yeah. You could tell me to get the fuck out of your house and I would have to leave. But you didn't do that. Yeah. So therefore, your statement is admissible. So that's the things about entertainment versus reality that people don't get. And so when you arrest somebody, it was always amusing to me. Everybody's a street corner lawyer. Yeah. You know, well, you didn't advise me of my rights when I arrested you. That's correct. We did not do that. Well, you see, you see, you can't do that. That's good. You got to let me go. Uh, no, we don't. <laughs> and that's like, what? <laughs> because he saw it on television. By God, and it must be true. 
please. You know, while you've opened that can of worms, I, I have to ask you, is there a TV show? <clears throat> There's one in particular I want to ask you, but I don't want to make you look like you're bad mouth on a show because there are things about Bosch that I do like. But if you've ever seen that show, did you did you at any point during the show scratch your head and go, oh, I can't believe they did that? I've never watched those shows. Okay, I did. I, I watched the show once. Okay, because Kathy, my wife, who's been my wife since we've been together since high school, we've been together. We've been married fifty five years. I mean, we're like she's my buddy, you know. So anyway, when CSI Las Vegas came out, mm-hmm. the original CSI. Mm-hmm. Now we're down to CSI Dubuque. Yeah. But then it was CSI Las Vegas. And uh, she wanted me to watch it with her because she really liked it. And because of rock and roll music and the blue lights and a laboratory, ooh, ooh, yeah. you know, it was really cool and everything. Yeah. Okay, fine. So I said, you want me to watch this? She said, you know, why do you want me to watch this? Because I want you to tell me if it's real. I said, okay. So I sit down and I watch it for one hour. Uh-huh. And she says, well, I said, it's absolutely 100% bullshit. 100%. Or anything on this, it's right. And she's like, what? You know, she was really mad because I've ruined her show for her. I said, don't ask me to watch these things. <laughs> and laboratory people don't carry guns. They're not sworn. They don't have a badge. They don't interrogate anybody. They have a scratch and sniff squad. Pick that up and pick that up. <laughs> I want that. That's what they do. Okay. Yeah. The the other thing is all the machinery they had doesn't exist. All the tests they have don't exist. Oh wow. People understand and I understand it's entertainment, it's not supposed to be real. Sure. But people that watch it don't think that. There was a murder case just last year in Colorado. In Colorado, where the jury gets the gets the case. And they, they, they contact the judge from the jury room and they say, we want to see you. It's not uncommon. They have a question they don't know the answer to. So the judge goes back to the jury room. I know the judge involved in this. He goes back and says, what? They say, well, we want to know why this test wasn't performed. And they hand him this note that has the name of a test on it. And he said, what is this? Well, why wasn't that test performed? Because there's no such thing as this <laughs> test. Well, it's on CSI. <laughs> well, you see, that's entertainment, sir. That's not reality. <laughs> they were shocked. That's the bad part of entertainment versus reality because of the level of the audience that watches it. Yeah. Okay. They're not real bright. Okay. <laughs> so they begin to believe that all these things are, in fact, true. Now, the other thing about that show that really annoyed me is the women in the program are all wearing a size five outfit unbuttoned to the waist. And it all came out of a spray can. (laughs) And I told her, I said, you show up to my office dressed like that. I would send you home to change. Yeah. This is a professional organization. We're not here for you to show off. We're here to do a job. Yeah. There's not a dance pole in the middle of the uh, war room, right? Precisely. (laughs) I had a female at work for me who gets a divorce She's an attractive woman. She's a homicide detective, pretty sharp too, but she's good looking. She comes to work in a leather top and a leather skirt and black nylons. And she sits down at the morning meeting and I said, Hey, uh, yes, sir. Go home, lose the biker chick and come back. (laughs) (laughs) 
and she just looks at me and I said, did you hear me? Uh, yes, sir. And she's gone. She comes back in business attire. You know, it's like, come on. Come on. <laughs> okay. Because this is so fun. Give me one more thing that you absolutely hate on any show. And, and dude, you've been around a while. You're, you gotta be like 45 or 50 by now. So you, Oh, at least. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> What's, yes, oh yeah. give me one show, give me one show <clears throat> that you just sit around for, maybe for pleasure. I don't know. Maybe with some, you're hanging out with a buddy and he has it on that you just went and you roll your eyes and you go, oh, come on, come on. Billy. Yeah. Well, it's usually, it, it's, it's uh, the events that it, they're most annoying is the, is the gun battles yeah. from a hundred yards away, you know, the, the high speed chases and explosions and yeah. cars blowing up. Cars don't blow up. They just burn. Yeah. Rather quietly. They don't even make any noise. They just burn and they melt. And that's the end of it. There is no explosion, but there is an explosion if you make it explode, of course, with sure. a special effect. Yeah. And all this gunplay, I pointed my gun at, at people 20,000 times. I never pulled the trigger. I never shot anybody in my entire career. Wow. Not that I wouldn't have. Not that I wouldn't have. Yeah. But I never thought I needed to. And as a result, I didn't. And I had a technique. My technique was simple. Don't raise your voice. And if you don't, it scares people. Yeah. Because they think you're serious. You know, it's not that put your hands up. Ah, yelling and screaming. No, no, no. I'd have a gun in one hand and a badge in the other because I was wearing a cheap suit. Yeah. And I didn't want you to have the excuse that I didn't know he was a cop. And I would say, my name's Kendall with the police department. You're under arrest for first degree murder. If you don't do what I say, I'm going to kill you right here and right now. And the guy would just collapse like, oh, he means it. Yeah, I do. I do mean it. I'm going to go home tonight. I don't care where you go to include the morgue, yeah. but I'm going to go home. <laughs> and that always worked. Yeah, I can see that. It I, wasn't blasting away and changing magazines every two minutes because you've already expended 15 rounds. You know, right. It's like, what are you doing? You know? We were watching, Tammy and I were watching something recently, and, and I could say this a hundred times. There's a there's a shootout. One guy has got a an automatic rifle, and it's just spraying oh. the horizon and cannot hit this yeah. one guy who's got a thirty eight with six shots and going ping, ping. And I'm like, yeah, of course. And that, that's my biggest annoyance. And then that guy turns around and, and plucks the guy off with one single shot. And it's like, of course, which is part oh, of, of yeah, you got to stop watching that stuff. All right. Well, you know, speaking of, <laughs> speaking of, um, short lived TV shows, cause there's a lot that burn out and fizzle out pretty quickly. How sure. proud of you, how proud must you have filled three seasons of American Detective, several books under your belt. Did you ever, when you were a cop back there in the Springs doing the thing back in the 70s, did you ever think, you know what? I might just turn into a movie star and get myself a TV show. No, I never thought that, and neither <laughs> would you. No one would ever think that. I am living proof that even a blind pig finds an acorn once in a while. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I had absolutely nothing to do with this. I was, uh, when I retired from the police department, my wife informed me I had to get a job or she was going to kill me. (laughs) 
which is understandable because I hadn't been around for 23 and a half years and she didn't kind of remember who I was. Right. So I thought she might shoot me. I taught her how to shoot. Yeah. People threatened her and my kids and my dog and a hundred times a week. And so she carried a gun the whole time I worked anyway. She said, get a job. I don't care doing what, but get something. You can get out of here or I'm going to have to kill you. Okay, fine. So I went and I drove a school bus. And I drove a special needs school bus. And I called my bus the Waldorf Hysteria. Because <laughs> every, everybody on it was nuts, including me. And I enjoyed that job because it was the first job I had as an adult where people were happy to see me. Has I never had a job where yeah. anybody was ever happy to see me. Yeah. But it did when I drove that bus. And I was minding my own business, sitting at the kitchen table one day, and I was going through the mail, and there's a letter addressed to me. And I read the letter, and it's from a guy who said the following. He said, I'm now a producer of television shows for a production company. I was a news guy back in the day in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and I interviewed you a number of times at crime scenes involving homicides. I did not remember his name, and when I met him, I didn't even remember what he looked like. I just didn't know the guy. Yeah. But he swore up and down he knew me, and he said he had this idea for a cop show about homicide, and he thought I would work for it. And he wanted to have me do a screen test in Denver, Colorado. Uh, and he'd pay me a hundred dollars us for me to show up. Wow. I'm a retired cop. I mean, a hundred bucks. Said, hey, I'm a short drive to Denver. I'm, I'm, I'm in. Yeah. But I put the letter down and my wife said, what's that? And I said, it's a letter from some guy that says he's going to put me on TV. Like that's going to happen. She said, you need to call that guy. I said, no, I don't. I don't like TV people. <laughs> this goes on for four days. Mrs. Kenda has a PhD in nagging <laughs> from a good school. And it wasn't going to stop. I know her. I know her well. And it's just like, are you going to call him this morning or this afternoon? Uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> so I finally said, peace in the family. I'll call him. So I called him. I kind of liked him on the phone. He says, a hundred bucks, come to Denver. I said, all right, I'll go to Denver. So I go to Denver. I'm the new guy, right? The FNG, as they say. You're right. And uh, I walk in the studio. There's all this cable and guys and sound people and cameras and lights. I'm thinking, wow, look at all this stuff, you know? And he's there. And he said, sit in that chair. So I sit in that chair. I said, okay, I'm in the chair. And I said, what do you want to talk about? And he looked at me and he just said, tell me about murder. Okay. So I did. Whatever came into my head for about 30 minutes. And I stood up and I said, is that what you had in mind? And everybody was standing there with their mouth open. And I thought, this didn't go well. Let me ask you again. Is that what you had in mind? And he said, oh, my God, yes. And one thing led to another. And that was the sizzle reel. Yeah, it was. Yeah, wow. And that was Homicide Hunter, 144 episodes. Wow. It plays in 180 countries in 50 languages. I'm all over the world. 
I get requests for autographs from Saudi Arabia. I thought they all wanted to kill us. <laughs> Apparently not. You know, that's an so, amazing yeah, uh, story. No, it is. That guy, yeah, and that's absolutely the truth. I mean, yeah. that's how this happened. Yeah. It was just how it happened. I've never had a script. I say whatever I want. They take out the profanity, which I don't particularly understand because it's the language of the street. But nonetheless, they remove the profanity, but there is no script. There never has been. Yeah, that's the first what... time I went to, to MGM in Hollywood to do the first series. Uh-huh. This guy drops 50 pounds of paper in my lap, and he said, what's that? I said, what's that? Yeah. Well, that's your script. I said, did anybody tell you I'm a policeman? I'm not an actor. <laughs> well, that's you. You have to, that's what you have to do. You have to read that. I said, no, I have to die and I have to pay taxes. I don't have to read this. <laughs> I said, you know something else? I said, you know, I got over playing dress up when I was five. <laughs> you should have too. And it pissed him off. And I meant to piss him off. I thought, you jerk, you know. And he said, I said, I'll tell you what. Yeah, I'll tell you. You turn that camera on. I'll tell you about this murder for 15 minutes because I was there and you and you weren't right. So turn the camera on. And if we, if you don't like it, we'll talk about the script. Now he's prepared not to like it. Sure. He says, all right. Yeah. So he turned the camera on. I talked 15 minutes. I said, I said, well, uh, we don't need that script. And there hasn't been one since. <laughs> Joe, don't you love playing by your own rules? Oh, yes. I, I, that was my insistence when this started. I said, look, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what you think, because I don't care what you think. You want to know about these cases? I'll tell you about it. In great detail, as far as you want to go or as far as you're willing to put on television. You can make your decisions about that, but there'll be no Hollywood. There'll be no car chases. There'll be no gun battles. None of that. This is criminal investigation, one foot in front of the other. That's how this works. You want to know about that? I'll tell you. If you want to know what murder is like, come with me and I'll show you. But don't tell me what it's like. Yeah. Because you have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. And so that was how it was. And I said, okay. And I thought this is never going to be on television. And my wife said, oh, yes, it will. They're going to love it. I said, Kathy, it's just murder. She said, well, it's just murder to you, but it isn't to everybody else. Yeah. Which brings me to a great question, or I hope it's a good question. Um, you know, it's it's a two-part question. How does one work in this type of field and not go away unscathed? And I might even put that second because I want to ask the other question, which is really top of mind. What is it? with our obsession as the collective culture with true crime, what is it that we just like, we can't get enough of true crime. I mean, it's all over the podcast. It's on TV shows. It's top of the charts. So, so I don't want to tell you what my opinion is. I'll tell you what my opinion. That is a good question. I tell you my opinion because that's all I've got to offer. I have no evidence. Uh, uh, But I would say that part of the reason why, not all of the reason, but part of it, involved in true crime are people that the spectator can identify with. They're not somebody in a $6,000 suit with minions who are also wearing $6,000 suits and they travel around in private jets and the the Hollywood vision of the organized criminal. Right. They're the guy that works at UPS with you 
they're the guy that lives next door. Yeah. They're the lady that works at the grocery store where you shop. That's who they are. They are like you. And you want to know that you're not ever going to be like them. So you watch these programs because you want to find out what you can avoid to wind up being in their position. Mm. That's what I think is going on. Mm. Now, whether I'm right, who knows? But that's what I think is happening. Humans are predictable and humans are relatively simple. No one likes to believe that because everyone wants to believe there's some sort of a clever genius, but they're not. They respond to the same things. And they respond to how can I avoid this? How can I not be part of true crime? Because that guy works where I work. Yeah. That guy lives in my neighborhood. That guy does what I do. What did he do wrong that I can avoid? So on a subconscious level, we thought it, you, you're kind of implying that if we snap, and we all have those moments where you're like, you know, I would love to just pull out and just, and you go, yes. okay, wait a minute, let me think about this, because prison does not look very attractive from where I'm oh, sitting. it's not. It's, a, it's another planet. You don't want to be there. But the real issue is that there is violence in all of us, yeah. and it is extreme in nature, and it's we are all capable. You just have the right motivation. Okay. Picture yourself, if you would, mm-hmm. on the Serengeti Plain in Africa, millions of years ago. And before you is the animal kingdom. And you're an observer. You're looking at all of this. And you notice this creature who's four feet tall, covered in hair, walks erect. He grunts to other creatures like him, and they seem to understand each other. It's some kind of a language. And then you observe that these people build weapons and they're able to kill animals two or three times their size. And while you're admiring this clever little creature, you should consider something. It is not in your interest to to try to pet him. And it still isn't. (laughs) We've only been out of a tree for about 15 minutes. We just wear nicer clothes. We're going to take a short break, and when we return, we'll circle back to that two-part question here with Joe Kenda on The Thriller Zone. Stay with us. Your host, David Temple here. Hey, before we get back to the show, I thought I would throw in this one quick note. I have had authors approach me who want to actually advertise on the show, and I'm like, that's cool. I love that idea. I mean, think about it. We feature the best thriller writers in the world. You're one of the new up-and-coming thriller writers in the world to be, and you have a book coming out. Our rates are super reasonable. (laughs) We're easy to work with, as you know, and we all want to work together to make success for all of us. Just reach out to us here at The Thriller Zone at thethrillerzone at gmail.com. Let's talk rates. Let's talk details. Let's do something together in the new year. I think you'll like it. Now, back to the show. The best thrillers, the thriller zone. And now back to the show. Okay, so let's go back to that first question in the two-parter, uh, and that is, and I suppose it's different for a lot of different people, but how does one get into this type of a field and not go away unscathed? 
Or you do not go away unscathed. Yeah. You do not. I have recurring nightmares, uh, five the same nightmares, others different, but you suffer. It is a price you pay for the work. It is. Yeah. My wife has a degree in a bachelor's science degree in nursing from Duquesne University in Pittsburgh. And her one of her specialties was psychiatric nursing. Her first employment was in psych nursing. And uh, she said to me after I retired and during when I was working, she said, you need professional help because you're suffering from PTSD, among other things, and you need to talk to somebody and so on. And I, I said, all right, you know, okay. So I retired. And then I identified a guy who was a psychiatrist, not a psychologist, but a psychiatrist, an MD, in Denver, who was supposed to be the guy west of the Mississippi to the West Coast for PTSD. PTSD, we are very into nomenclature in this country, and we're also into abbreviations. So it's PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, which they used to call in World War I a shell shock. Yes. That sounded a little bad. So in World War II, they started calling it battle fatigue. Right. And then that sounded bad. So then they came up with post-traumatic stress disorder, which sounds more scientific, but in reality, it is shell shock. Yeah. Anyway, I go see this guy. Now, my health insurance, being a city employee, and <laughs> a retired policeman, wasn't worth a shit. So they don't recover any mental health things because who knows how long you're going to be crazy. If your leg is broken, you're going to be in a cast for eight weeks. If you're nuts, well, who knows how long that's going to go on. So we don't cover any of that. So I go see the shrink. I talk to the nurse. She said, and she's aware of this, that we have no coverage for policy. So his fee at the time, and this is years ago, was eight or $400 an hour to talk to this guy. Wow. So I lay out 400 hard-earned dollars, and I give it to her. And I go in and see this guy. He's a nice guy. He's about my age. Uh, I sit down with him on a, a comfortable chair. And we, he said, do you have recurring nightmares? I said, I do. Could you describe them to me? I said, of course. It'll take about 20 minutes. Okay, well, go ahead. So I do. Oh, boy. He is in tears by the time I'm done. I am comforting him, and I'm thinking two things. I think what you. is wrong with this picture, <laughs> and who do I speak to about my 400 goddamn dollars? <laughs> so I left him in tears in his office. I went back out, and I looked at this nurse. I said, produce the 400 bucks. Or I'm going to come over to that desk and make you give it to me, and you're not going to like that. <laughs> and she gave me 400 bucks, and I, I went out. I go home. Kathy's all bubbly. You know, she said, well, how'd it go? Don't you ever suggest this. <laughs> it, went, it didn't go well. You know, so it's just the way it is. You have to realize it's called adulthood. You see things you cannot unsee. It would be nice if talking to someone would help. It doesn't. Yeah. If talking to someone who's going to say this to you, because they all do this shit. Picture a leaf floating down a stream. It's relaxing. Yeah, okay. All right. So when I when I see the leaf going down the stream, 
do I notice the dead body floating behind it? Or is that <laughs> something you don't want me to talk about? It's just, it's ridiculous. You know, it's just ridiculous. It is what it is. Yeah. And you have to learn how to deal with that and carry on your life and not be a jerk to people around you that you care about. Uh, you, things like that just don't ever, ever go away. They don't. Whether you'd like them to or not doesn't make any difference. No, I can't imagine what you have seen and the thing, uh, you can't unsee any of it. No. Yeah. Nope. No. No, I had a guy, some somebody here, I forget who it was, when I moved here to Virginia. <clears throat> Everybody wants to know what's the worst thing you've ever seen. Oh, yeah. And I said, well, the worst thing, I haven't seen all that much. I said, I've been to two hog killings in a county fair, but that's about all I've ever seen. <laughs> it's like, come on. You know, what are you asking me that for? You don't want to know what I've seen. No. It's funny. Yeah. I, I remember back in the day, this is back, uh, I must have been in grad school when I was there in uh, Virginia Beach. And uh, I was doing some research for a paper and I spoke to an SBI agent. And I was asking mm -hmm. him something that was not too dissimilar to this. And he said, let me show you something. And um, he spread out a row of photographs of quite some heinous uh, activities. And I was like, wow. And I had never seen it before. And I said, yeah, how did that happen? He goes, well... <clears throat> The assailant went after that guy with a ball-peen hammer, and that's what happened to his head. So I'm going to leave that to your imagination. And we, we oh, got, of course. Yeah, and we got to talk. I've seen that, by the way. Yeah. Very effective. Very. Fragile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't realize that they'll crack, uh, crack way easier than a walnut uh, if you give it the right. Way easier. Yeah. yeah. So... So at the end of the conversation, I said, Steve, just let me ask you the maybe what I feel is could be the quintessential uh, question. He goes, I go, how do you how do you get away with murder? He got real quiet and he said, I'll never forget this. He said, there is one and only one way. Now, this was back in the day, dude. So this was not, uh, you know, inside your wheelhouse. And this was what mid 80s. And the technology isn't what it is now. But he said, one way. I said, what is it? He goes, do not tell anyone. I'm like, what? That's true. He goes, that's it. He goes, don't tell don't tell your wife, your lover, your buddy, your pal, you're sitting up with a beer. Nobody. Zero. Tell nobody. And you have the best chance of getting away with it. I never forgot that. It's true. Still true. No. Okay, good. Providing you didn't leave evidence of your passing at the crime scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then there's that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Then there's that. And then there's your story, which always has a lot of holes in it. I would like to, when I did interrogations, I'd tell them, why don't you tell me what happened? And they'd tell you their fantastic tale. And you just listen to them, you know. But it's not, I don't record it. You don't write it down. But I don't forget a word. And I would wait a couple of hours and say, okay, you know, you told me what happened, but I forgot what you said. Could you tell me again? Yeah. Well, of course, he can't tell you again because he lied the first time. Now, he's going to try to remember what he said to you, but there's going to be subtle differences. Tell me a lie because if you lie to me, I'm talking to the right guy. Innocent people don't have to lie. So the first lie that said, which is the origin of the, of the tagline from my show, it's, it's true. The first lie I hear, I slam my notebook on the table, makes a loud noise, and you startle the guy. Uh -huh. 
you've been friendly with him up to this point? And I would say, well, my, my, my. <laughs> now, two hours ago, you said this. And now you say this. Were you lying then? Are you lying now? Or maybe you're just a fucking liar. What do you think? <laughs> and you keep him off balance. And now he's wondering, where's my friend? And he, some have even said, well, you were nice to me. I said, yeah, I was. I was. But I'm Detective Antichrist now. <laughs> and now we're going to play a sophisticated game of tag. A game in which you are it. Let me see if I can touch you. And then we change the approach. But those things are things you use. You know, yeah. things, games you play with people. Because there's more than not telling someone else. There's more than what you should say to any policeman is, I want a lawyer. <laughs> four <laughs> words. <laughs> yeah. Those four words are the only thing you should ever say to a policeman. You know, I want a lawyer. And when guys would do that with me, I would say, you know, that's an excellent choice because you, my friend, are going to need one. You might even need two. <laughs> and, and see the look on the guy's face. You know, those, that's always fun. But hey, before we jump into killer trigger, and I and I know the uh, killer triggers, and I know you were thinking, hey, Dave, are we ever going to get to that for crying out loud? Here am I, you know, I got uh, whatever. So I'm I'm thinking back. So you roll into Colorado Springs, 1973. Now, as a little bit of my own personal backstory, just to lay some background there, we visited uh, Colorado Springs recently. We thought we were going to move there, and it's like a, a, a an idyllic little charming little town there in the foothills. Of, sure. uh, beautiful. It's just about an hour away from Denver. It's. Mm-hmm. Kind of that uh, desert-ish tundra meets mountains. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah. People are nice. Yeah. Alpine desert, it's legally known as. Alpine desert, yeah. Uh, your mm-hmm. nose and your eyes will dry up like sandpaper in about 15 minutes of arrival. Correct. So I'm thinking to myself, 1973. So I'm thinking about how idyllic it is right now in 2022. And I use that in air quotes, but 73, you know, simpler times, a little more innocent. Mm -hmm. You're starting out. And I'm thinking to myself, what is Colorado Springs, AKA the Springs like back in 73 as compared to when you left some 20 odd years later? Well, a lot of growth, a huge number, a huge amount of growth. Yeah. When I came here in 73, population of the city was about 160,000. Population when I left was a little over 500,000. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it, it grew a lot. But when you have humans in a place, there's going to be a certain amount of trouble. Now, the, the murder rate in Colorado Springs is an average rate of homicide in the United States. Uh, the rate of homicide is an up and down thing, depending upon the national biorhythm or whatever determines it. But some years are bad years, some years are good years. The thing that always interested me is if we had a high number of killings in Colorado Springs in one particular year, so did everybody else. Yeah, The murder rate was up everywhere. And then if it was down the year after, it was down everywhere else. It was weird. It was very, very strange. Who knows why? But it was. And uh, 
the show makes it seem like somebody gets knocked off every 10 minutes. Right. That's not reality. Okay. The reality is we have an average of about 20 to 28 homicides a year in Colorado Springs. Now, a lot of things impact that, impact those numbers. And one of the things that really is most important, much more so than the murder rate, is what is the assault rate? Mm. And press never talks about that. But the reality of that is when someone decides to assault someone with a deadly weapon, his intent is to kill the victim. But he doesn't get it done because he doesn't shoot them enough. He doesn't stab them in the right place. There are trauma surgeons on duty at local hospitals. There are helicopters to fly the, the victim to somewhere. <clears throat> There's a golden hour of initial treatment by EMTs with advanced techniques. All those things where they saved people that 20 or 30 years ago, they would not have survived. Right. So it's more interesting to look at the assault rate, which is substantial in Colorado Springs. You have a young population, uh, heavily military, people who carry weapons for a living, uh, that sort of thing, all kinds of activities going on. And, of course, you have the drug problem and the gang problem and all the other problems that go with human beings. So there is plenty of work, as they say. You know, I as I've read the book and I've researched your background, I, you know, I always ask things that I'm like, okay, what if I shadowed him for a day? What would I see? And <clears throat> which I, I would find that fascinating, if not stomach turning. And I, and I wonder, you know, what was the hardest part of your job as a, a lieutenant, as a, a homicide detective? Making a death notification. Oh yeah. That's the hardest thing. That is without doubt the hardest thing because you have someone when you ring a doorbell at one thirty in the morning and you're wearing a suit and tie and you're holding up a badge. Yeah. The person that answers that door knows what happened before you say a word. You can see it in their face. Someone's not home. Who's supposed to be. Yeah. And now there's a policeman on the porch. It's always a terrible thing. And I've seen grief reactions of every description from laughter to stunned silence to physical assault. Uh, you name it, it happens. It depends on the person and their particular situation, but it's always uh, a nasty business. The uh, press often says, we provide closure to the family by making an arrest, and that's bullshit. <laughs> there is no closure. Losing a loved one is a hole in your heart that never heals. Yeah. You might have a better understanding of how it happened, but it's never going to close that hole. It's not going to. They're not coming home anymore. No matter what happens to the perpetrator, it doesn't resolve your pain. And that's the reality. And I would try to avoid using words like killed or murdered. I would say no longer alive, no that sort of thing. It's not much, but it's better than nothing. Sure. And I would do it immediately. There's no point in beating around the bush. You open the door, do you have a son, so-and-so? Yes, we do. That's what I'm sorry to tell you. He's no longer alive. And then wait for the reaction, and then wait for more reaction, and then 
eventually you can talk to them a little bit, see what they know about their child's activities, their wife's activities, their husband's or whoever it is. And I would try to do it myself rather than have my men do it because it's so difficult. And when I was getting ready to retire, I took a guy with me for a death notification because I was going to leave and he would have to be doing this sort of thing. And it was one of the worst experiences ever uh, with a with a person who had a violent reaction to being told about the death. And he was assaulted. And I uh, it's really a mess. And afterwards, I had to say to him, I said, that's not normal. And he's thinking, oh, yeah, sure, it's not. You know, it was uh, really bad. It happens that way sometimes. Wow. And other times you wind up with people that are as cold as you can imagine. I had a case where a truck driver was murdered in Colorado Springs. I determined who his father is, who lives in Oklahoma. And I try to do it in person first and then tell the agency that makes the notification to call me, you know, from, from their house. So I sent a sheriff's deputy in Oklahoma to this guy's home to tell him his son had been murdered. And then he called me and uh, I spoke to him just briefly. And he said, uh, so uh, what about my son's burial? I said, well, you can call the funeral home locally in Oklahoma. And notify the El Paso County Morgue. They will handle those arrangements. And uh, they will ship your son home to you from that morgue. And he paused and he said, do I have to pay for that? Well, yes, sir, you would. Well, then you keep him. And he hung up. Not a close family. No. Yeah, I'm guessing not. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so let's, humans, you gotta love them. You gotta love them or kill them. Um, so yes, <clears throat> killer triggers. Uh, first of all, I love the book. It's so, and it's so funny. The minute I got on the phone with you within 10 seconds, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to like this guy. This guy is exactly who I was reading with this book, killer triggers, because my favorite thing. Yeah, sure. I love the macabre dark shit, of course, but the humor with which you tell the stories and interject the stories is so friggin' hilarious. God, you're funny. Well, you have to have that because you have two options, David. You can laugh or cry. Yeah. Crying gets very old very quickly. So you develop a gallows sense of humor, which I am blessed with. <laughs> yeah. The result uh, is it can be, you know, there are a lot of things that you, you have to find humor in things, you know, because, uh, the alternative isn't very pleasant. Yeah. So, yeah, of course. I had a homicide once where a woman's, I go to the crime scene. My guys beat me there. And there's a a body of a woman. We know it's a woman based on the body because the body's headless. There's no head. Right. Just just the body. Thus headless. Mm -hmm. And so one of my guys says, hey, Lieutenant, what do you think the cause of death is? I said, well, I'm not a doctor, but it seems like we don't have Oliver here. (laughs) (laughs) So we're searching this house at 2 o'clock in the morning for a head. And you you pause while you're doing that. I think, do you realize what we're doing? We're we're pulling off the the sofa cushions looking for this woman's head. (laughs) So finally, one of my guys finds her in the crisper tray in the refrigerator with her eyes open and her mouth open. And he says, oh, 
God. And I looked in there and I said, well, okay, there she is. I said, what the hell is he doing with that, doing that? I said, maybe he was going to make a salad. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know what he's going to do. You know, Her husband had a psychotic episode and he didn't know this was her. He had the moment of extreme violence. And he beat her, stabbed her, and cut her head off and didn't remember doing it. What? And he wasn't lying. He was not lying. He was soaked in her blood. And he looked at me and said, did I hurt her? Oh, yeah, you did. <laughs> Joe, how does that uh, happen? Is that just it's some kind of an out-of-body experience? Yeah, it's, it's what it's, the psychiatrist will tell you a psychotic episode wow. where you are out of contact with reality, truly out of contact. You are so overwhelmed. Your emotions are maxed to the point where nothing works. Your reasoning powers leave you and you're just sort of operating on instinct and you're still breathing because it's a, it's an involuntary response. So it's really a, amazing. I've seen that a few times, not very many, but I have seen it. Wow. And it's like, wow. You know. Then when he calms down a little bit, then reality returns. And then he's very sorry. Well, if we, unfortunately, society won't accept your apology. <laughs> now they're with your wife. We want, we want 48 years of your ass for second-degree murder. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? But yeah, that's uh, that's how it goes. So it's a uh, it's a very different experience when you deal with people, as I did, in the worst possible moments in their life, and you deal in death and you deal in violent death. It's a uh, quite an amazing experience. So let me do this real quick, since uh, <clears throat> I've got some time with visuals, I'm going to add this on my screen uh, for the YouTube uh, followers. Now, Killer Triggers is split into uh, 10 chapters, roughly. It's 11, because 11 is pulling the trigger. But here's the titles. This, this, this will give you a little bit of a taste of what's to come. Chapter 1, A Runner's Fatal Walk. 2, The Serial Killer Next Door. The Coming Undone of a Good Man. The Choir Boy Gone Bad. I love that one. A Killer Rental. Murder in a mom and pop shop, a nest of vipers, twisted sisters, low lives deserve oh. justice too, and a killer pack. And then, of course, oh, yeah. pulling the trigger was final as you uh, pulled the trigger on the career, so to speak. But what was your favorite chapter? I mean, picking a favorite for me is like f picking your favorite pizza topping. I'm like, really? It's I can't do that. <laughs> Boom! I just did it. Wrote them down in like ten minutes, you know, because they're all they're all just as interesting as every other one. Sure. But you know, those were ones that just like, well, well, that, well, there's that one. Oh, well, that guy. You know, what about that guy? And yeah. So, and so, on. so yeah, of course. It's uh, what what intrigued me. The reason I wrote the book the way I did is what has always intrigued me about things. Criminal investigation is based upon answering the standard questions: who, what, where, when, how, and why. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But the why question is the least interesting to me, unless it's going to lead me to who. I don't care about why. That's a jury question. A jury has to decide, are you pure evil or what? Right. When the why question comes up. So my theory was I would take somebody into court and I would, I would sit in front of that jury and I would effectively say, you see that guy sitting there at the defendant table? Take a look at him. Let me tell you what he did. 
and then proceed to do that. And they say, now, let me tell you how I know that, that that's what he did. And you do that. And then you say to the jury, so what do you think? What do you think we're going to do with him now? Should we give him a silver star or should we take him out in the alley and shoot him in the head? <laughs> While you're considering that, don't leave because I'm going to go get another one and I'll be right back. That's the reality wow. of homicide. So when I look at those cases, after I've identified the perpetrator and, 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 then the question became in my head, it always did occur to me, picture this person's life as a ball that's still in the grass. It's just sitting here. But something set this ball in motion and it became a ball of violence. Now, what was it that made that ball move and turn into what it became? What emotion was there that triggered that, that pushed it forward? Yeah. Was it jealousy? Was it depravity? Was it insanity? Was it revenge? Was it money? What was it? Because it was something. And that's what that book is about. Yeah. There's something. All right. Well, it is a solid read. I mean, it's so, it's so enjoyable. Um, and, you know, it's so funny. I was talking to someone recently comparing fiction versus nonfiction books, and I've always mm -hmm. been a fiction reader since forever. And this show affords me to be able to read sometimes two and even three books a week. However, when I run across nonfiction, my interest has actually grown exponentially because I guess for the obvious that, oh, well, this actually, you know, this should actually happen versus what oh, of course. somebody's of course. making up. But since you're a fiction writer, I'll share something with you. You'd be the first kid in your block to know this. I have written a third book. And it's in process right now. The manuscript's been accepted by the publisher. It's already gone through edit. Everything's hunky-dory. Yeah. And it'll, it'll release next May. And it's my first attempt at a novel. Oh, look at you, it's Joe. It's a murder mystery <laughs> based on my experience and some of my cases. But, of course, the players are fictional beings, with the exception of myself, because I'm in the book as well. And I have it set in 1975, oh. before the electronic wizardry we are cursed with today even existed. <laughs> there was no social media, no internet, no nothing. Uh, and this was back in the day when people read newspapers. And uh, it's a very interesting, I think, book. And... Uh, it's about uh, basically a guy who decides his wife needs to go away <laughs> permanently. He doesn't have the nerve to do that. So he hires an assassin, not just any assassin, but a very competent assassin. And the title of the book is all is not forgiven. Mm. And, uh, I think it's uh, pretty cool. All right. Well, <laughs> you'll find out what everybody else thinks in a, yeah. in a while. Your timing's impeccable because I was just getting ready to ask. Okay, you got two books under your belt. You must have loved writing this one. What, what, what is next? So the, it's perfect for you. And, you know, this goes, right. this goes back to the classic thing, Joe, that everyone always says. Well, write what you know. Well, here comes a cat in May called Joe. 
uh, Joe Kenda, who's going to roll in here and write a novel. And I predict it's going to be a smash. This novel is absolutely on the mark in terms of the, the methods available in 1975, the methods of the agencies involved, because there's more than one, the weapons that are involved, because there's more than one of those. All the things are absolutely perfect, technically. Yeah. And they are done in the manner in which I did them. And I think that people will find it to be very intriguing. And I have a great killer because he is out of his goddamn mind. <laughs> the very best kind of killer. I, the reason I think it's going to be so perfect, and I love the fact you're doing it in the early 70s, is that you don't have all those modern-day influences that plague uh, you know, media today. I love the—I mean, it's the quintessential going old school. I love that, Joe. Oh, it is. It is that. That was in the day when the press only could say the police are baffled. Yeah. I always wondered what it meant to be baffled. They always <laughs> accuse me of that all the time. I thought, I wonder what the hell that means. I don't know what that means. I used to play with them a lot at crime scenes. They'd say, well, do you have any suspects? Yeah, 500,000 of them, including you. <laughs> now get out of my way. <laughs> it was pretty funny, you know. They they weren't very bright. They still aren't. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you can play with them. I had a little girl once who said, I demand a quote. I said, you what? Our cameraman knew me, TV girl, and he rolled his eyes like, oh, boy. And I said, so you demand a quote? She said, yes. I said, Alexander Pope said in 1891, <laughs> the journalists are on principled swine. Put that on your television news. And I watched the news that night, and it says, Lieutenant Kenda had no comment. That's a lie. I had a comment. <laughs> he didn't like it. <laughs> That's brilliant. Hey, quick question. So when this book comes out, Will this be through our friends at uh, Blackstone Publishing, perchance, like yes. this? Okay, yes. Okay. Yeah. Good folks there. Yes. They seem to be. I'm very pleased with them, and uh, we get along very well. Yeah. And uh, uh, the first book I did with Hachette, and then the second book with Blackstone, and it's been very successful. Killer Triggers is very successful. Yeah, yeah. It came out in paperback in June of this year, and it's been selling very well. It sold well in hardback. And uh, then we're working on this third book. And there's going to be a fourth book after that. But for now, we'll just deal with the third book. And uh, they're excited about it. So am I. That's... So uh, I think you'll find it to be quite interesting. Well, that is, I am so excited about that because now we're going to be able to blend I'm going to be, I've got the inside scoop. So I get to, I get to read a yes, book. Yes, you do. Yeah. I get to read a book by the guy who lived it and is now creating a fantastical new world that involves all his knowledge, which is deep indeed. It's always interesting to me to play the game with people, uh, truly the game. And I give an example. Do we have a minute yet to talk oh, or no? Buddy, my time is your time. Okay. It's a very common thing. People go to prison and they realize they don't like prison. <laughs> well, that makes sense. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so they also are smart enough to know, because they're criminals, that if they write me a letter and they say they know about a murder, that I will that will get my attention and that maybe they can cut a deal. They call them cons for a reason. Yeah. 
They are cons, all of them. So you go, you get the letter, and I always went, and every once in a while, it was actually worthwhile. But for the most part, it's bullshit. They're just looking for a way out. They think they can find something. They overheard a conversation, whatever, that's all meaningless. Hearsay evidence is not admissible in court. So on and so on. They don't know that. So anyway, they, they, write, to, they write the letter. So you show up, and you phony up an excuse for the guy to be in the warden's office so the population doesn't realize where he is and who he's talking to. Uh, so you, you go into the warden's office, and there's your inmate. And they're always the same. They're always arrogant and shitty, and you know, because they've got the scoop and you need to know what it is. And and I'd say, Well, here, I've got a legal pad here. I know you have a list of demands. So let's just get that out of the way. I assume you want to get out of prison today, right? <laughs> well, well, yeah. So all right, you're out of prison today. Okay. And of course you're gonna need money, so because you're gonna get out of prison today. So, like, would a hundred grand be all right? Well, sure. Okay. Well, that's a hundred thousand dollars to the inmate, and I just keep writing, and he keep running his mouth. You know, I said, "Okay, are are you through?" Because you got to understand something. When this list is complete, you cannot add something. So, give it some thought for a minute. And you see, these are all the things you want. Well, yeah, no, that'll be fine. Okay, good. And I tear off a piece of paper and I tear it up and throw it in the trash can. I said, now let me tell you how this is going to work, convict. You have 60 seconds to tell me something I don't already know. And if you can't do that, I'm going to walk to that microphone and I'm going to tell the yard that you're in here talking to me. And he said, don't kill me. Exactly. And you're down to 45 seconds. You still have a list of fucking demands? <laughs> and that's how that goes. Wow. Now, 98% of the time, they don't have anything of use. They have something, but it's not of use. Right. But every once in a while, I said that to a guy, and he looked at me and said, I drove the car. Ooh. <laughs> now we're talking. Yeah. This guy's a participant. And I made a deal with him. I got him up. I got him moved. I got him everything because he testified and we resolved the case. Wow. And it's, you never know, even those guys, a bad guy, and he is a lifetime bad guy. And I said, why did you tell me? Why did you tell me today? He said, I've been thinking about it a long time. He said, that dude did not deserve to die like that. He just didn't. That was even outside his rules. Wow. what his friends did, you know? And it was interesting. It you know, does, people are interested. It does surprise you just a wee bit, doesn't it, that sometimes oh, sure. in amidst all that darkness, somebody somewhere finally goes, you know what? I know I'm yeah. a bad dude and we did some bad things, but he didn't deserve that. That's right. That's, ex that's exactly what he said. Yeah. And he was sincere about it, sincere enough to testify in court. He didn't care. So those guys have it coming. Wow. <laughs> and he was right. They did. You know? Let me circle back to that book that you said is coming out in May of 23 real quick. And you said yeah. that you are, are you, are you writing as yourself? Are you playing yourself inside the book? I'm curious. I'm myself in the book as a young detective. Yes. Got it. And I'm the only real person in it. Everybody else is fictitious, but that, that's me. 
and I'm Kenda in the book. Got it. And so the book will be authored by your name. Yep. Got it. Perfect. Okay, cool. All right. I, I do have, um, <clears throat> I was talking to some friends who knew that you were going to be on the show and I said, Hey, feel free to throw me some questions if you want. And I'll, I got one that I'm kind of interested in. Uh, sure. I, I have a feeling you may go, Oh, geez, you may roll your eyes at this, but roll with me anyway, because we're <laughs> friends now. So, uh, let's see. Listener in Charlotte, North Carolina, Matt writes, Joe worked with Lou Smith on several occasions during his career. Lou yes. also worked the John Benet Ramsey case, which remains unsolved. He did. But Smith Correct. maintains the killer is in the case file. Matt wonders, Joe, if you'd consider looking at the file and Smith's notes in an effort to resolve this unsolved case. I would not because I have no jurisdiction in Boulder, Colorado. And the other issue in the Boulder case is that the police made enormous investigative errors that will prevent that case from ever going to trial. They'll never get in a courtroom with it. So it was so uh, muffed up not. from the get-go. That is correct. Yeah. It is beyond repair. It fascinates the press because the family puts the fun back in dysfunctional. <laughs> Most people teach a five-year-old girl how to ride a bicycle. They don't dress her up like a whore and have her dance around the stage to relive her mother's youth. Yeah. That's not how it works. So to the press... It's a man bites dog story, and they won't let it go. In terms of reality, the investigative errors are fatal to criminal prosecution. Gotcha. So there's no way it could be resolved. You can say, you can speculate, you can talk about it, you can do all that, and that's all it is. Yeah. Smith worked for me for a number of years. Smith's a very good detective. But Smith would get personally involved in things, and you can't do that. And he would not, well, he didn't want to quit. And he called me when that case was underway and wanted me to come help him. And I said, Lou, you got to stop crawling around in graveyards. It's not good for you. <laughs> you have no jurisdiction in that area. And if our, let me ask you this. Are the press accounts accurate of what the Boulder PD did before you got involved in it? Well, yeah, they're accurate. I said, then what are you going to do with this? You're not going to court. No one's going to get arrested, and no one's going to get convicted. No one's going to get past a preliminary hearing. You couldn't even get an arrest warrant signed. Yeah, no kidding. All right, so it's like, what are you doing? Then he was angry with me, and he hung up, and that was the end of it. And I never talked to him about it again. But uh, and speaking of what are you doing? Is that your wife cooking dinner in the background, or are you making cocktails? She's emptying the dishwasher. Yeah, tell her it's a perfect <laughs> timing. Thank you. <laughs> and she just said she was sorry. I so, heard that. Just, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> oh. <coughs> well, that's hilarious. All right, well. Folks, uh, I would love to say go to Joe's website, but if you heard the beginning of this conversation, which may have been lost on a little bit of our uh, initial conversation because we are audio only and not video, uh, Joe is not a big fan of technology. 
Uh, not yeah. a big fan of uh, Zoom or StreamYard or any of those guys. And so we had a little bit of a snafu out of the gate. Who cares? Because this was as riveting as it gets. But my point being, I don't have a website to go to because Joe says, I don't want a website. I want social media. That is correct. I don't have one. I've never had one, nor will I ever have one. So, uh-huh. yeah, if you want to find killer triggers, I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to assume you could go to Blackstone who published it, Amazon who sells it, probably some other places, but trust me when I say every place does every place, (laughs) every place. If you like uh, true crime, you're going to love killer triggers. Joe Kenda has been my guest. It's been hilarious and so fun and may coming up in next year. Hey, Joe, will you come back and talk to me again um, when you come up with this next book? Oh, absolutely. Okay. In fact, if, if we do talk again, we will. You have to read it first, and then we'll talk about it. A hundred percent. Well, I'll talk to your people. You, I'm doing air quotes. I'll talk to your people who can talk to my people, and you can get me a, a copy, <laughs> and then I can read it, and then we can come back around in May or April, even, and talk. Oh about yeah, it. sure, yeah. absolutely. And absolutely. if you're, they, they can send you. They call it a reader's copy. If you're. Yeah. yeah. As a, a person like yourself who's in the in the media biz, yeah. they will send you one for free. Yeah. You know, around a, well, probably a month or two in advance of the release date. Now, I and know. You can read it. Now, I would love to. Look, I'm one of those old school guys that would love to sit down with you, Joe, sit down you know, in front of a fireplace or out by the pond or you name it. But you're on the East Coast. I'm on the West Coast. So unless you're on one that they call a travel or, you know, a, a marketing junket and you're out this way, um, mm-hmm. I, I imagine we'll be doing pulling some technology together where I can actually see that handsome face of yours next time we talk. I know you'll well, come kicking and screaming. I'll tell you what I found. I've had success with Zoom. Okay. All right, I'm going to let you. Never had an issue with it. I'm going to let you in on an inside secret. I had Zoom forever. I did the entire first 98 episodes of this podcast with Zoom. Uh, maybe not mm-hmm. quite that many. And but the quality is not uh, what I would call spectacular because if you got bad, oh, of course not. Yeah, but you know, I know. So I went to one of these newfangled guys that you were talking about, and however, I did not anticipate the fact that you were not a technologically savvy guy and had Chrome on your browser. So I I didn't anticipate that, mm-hmm. or I would have gone with Zoom. So I promise you, next right. time, if I'm not sitting in front of you. They're on the 22 acres outside of Virginia Beach, or you're sitting here. Yes, in my back. I have a bar on my deck, by the way. Oh, okay. Now, game on. Yeah. And I have a sign that I bought in Berlin <laughs> that says in the standard languages, you are now leaving the American sector. See, you're lost in the American sector. It's on my bar. Oh, that's so. And nice. I also have a sign, which a friend of mine made. Yeah. Who's a, he's actually, he runs a machine shop. So he, I said, I want you to cut me a sign on aircraft aluminum because the, the humidity here is enormous. Yeah. So I can stay there forever. Just cut it, you know, cut it out. And I, I'm going to put it on my bar. Nice. And what's it going to say? I said, Rancho Costa Lada, you know, <laughs> that's what I call this place. <laughs> You're too funny, Joe. Well, thank you so much for this time. This has been a hoot and a half. Well, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. So did I. Good. So would you know, the one time I go to cancel Zoom and and, and the and my guest uh, will only play in the Zoom world. So um, 
you know what? It is what it is, and you roll with it as you roll with it. But anyway, great fun with Joe Kenda. And again, in case you didn't catch it, Killer Triggers is the book. And I cannot wait for May of next year when uh, his first fictional book comes out. So that's going to be very cool. All right. So once again, thanks to Joe Kenda. I'm your host, David Temple, and I'll see you next time for another exciting edition of The Thriller Zone. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.